Social media is fairly ubiquitous in most of our lives, but more and more studies are coming out now about the negative impacts it can have on us. My name is David Birnbaum. Welcome to The Safe Space. With me today are Alroy Almeida and Sohail Kushan. Thank you for joining me. The first question I want to start with is really, are you ever alone? That's what I find very interesting as, a, as the start of this conversation because, you know, everyone seems to be plugged into their phone all of the times now. Are you ever alone? Well, it's an interesting question because you could be connected and be alone at the same time. So, depends on the definition of alone. Yeah. Um, but if you're always plugged in, uh, or like people tend to have their phone with them, you're on alert, right? You should be able to answer your friend quickly. You, like, you're never really giving time to yourself. And what it makes me think of is, um, you know, they say your best thinking was done in the washroom, right? Because you had no other distractions. You would sit there and you, you could just think. But people don't do that anymore. They don't, when they commute, everyone's on their phone, or most people are on their phone. When you're in the washroom, you're on your phone. So, like, you're, even if you're not, you know, actually on it, you're, you're waiting for it. You're, you want to know if there's a notification and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, so personally for me, yes, because um, at, least, at least once a year, I try to like rent a cottage or something, just go up in the middle of nowhere where there is no cell connection um, and where I'm not tempted to pull up my phone all the time. So um, yeah, for, for me, it, it does happen, but it's a conscious decision and, a, and an effort to, to do so. Um, I guess when we're, you know, going about our daily lives, like you said, commuting or even sitting in the bathroom, you, you know, there's no more reading the shampoo bottle. It's, you know, you're scrolling through whichever app you've got open at that point. So, um, yeah, in day-to-day in -day life, probably not anymore. Why did you, why do you make an effort to give yourself that time away? Um, so, I mean, for me, it's because, uh, so part of, I guess, my background is that I've, uh, started my own company and I basically am working all day every day and it's just a lot of stress and pressure and sometimes I need to get away from that and just have a, a time to think a little bit more clearly and, and to focus on myself, uh, focus on personal goals and not the company the entire time. Um, and so it's something that I've realized that I've had to start doing just because the, uh, yeah, I guess the pressure was getting to me. Um, and you know, we, you and I especially have talked a lot in the past about mental health and, and, uh, and you know, putting yourself in a better mental position. Um, just like you would take care of your physical, your, your, your body's health, you gotta take care of your mind's health as well. So um, just trying to listen to some of my own advice and you know, take my own medicine, I guess. I, I do think that taking something like a vacation where you get to disconnect is a good idea, as long as you're actually disconnecting, right? So you can end up doing a trip and being on your phone or at least connected during the, t the whole time. And a lot of times I've, I've noticed myself doing that and at the end regretting that because I didn't really get that opportunity to disconnect and to be in my own space. Mm -hmm. So it's important to keep that in mind. But it is a healthy habit. I think most people try to organize something once a year where they're isolated or at least in a cottage where you're away from the normal um, rays of information that are the barrage, yeah. the barrage of but texts and messages. For me, like, so I went on a trip and, you know, took five days where I disconnected completely from the internet. I still had, you know, some technology with me. Um, and people were impressed. They're like, oh, wow, you did that? And it's like, it, it really threw me off. Like, how is this such an amazing thing? But 
like there's really two worlds now, right? There's the physical world and the online world. And often people still take their vacation to separate themselves from their physical environment. They're so used to, they need, want to get away from work and things like that. Um, but they still, I don't think, disconnect from the, the online world. And we haven't even gotten into social media yet, but I think it's about, you know, smartphone and that addiction to connection. And it's also an expectation from work, right? It used to be, you know, before the internet, you left at five o'clock and, you know, maybe you got a phone call if something was an emergency. But now there's still sort of an expectation that you're always plugged in. Um, yeah, so actually before I go to bed every night, I turn my phone onto airplane mode. Um, and then the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is take it out of airplane mode. And once again, that barrage of messages and emails from customers that are abroad and, and all of that, they start coming in. And it's actually a pretty awful way to start my day because you know, it immediately plugs you back into the, okay, shit, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. Oh, I've been, I've been regretting this email. I, you know, I got I to gotta give my attention to this problem now. And um, you know, then I finally roll out of bed. And then I'm in the shower, and I'm still thinking about those stuff. And then I'm eating breakfast, and I'm still thinking about that stuff. So it's, it's kind of awful, but um, that's the pressure that we've put ourselves into. Yeah, I think the morning is an interesting uh, point, because um, I was going to ask you if you feel any sense of like, any dopamine when you start getting all that in the morning. Because I know for myself, one of the first things I do when I get up is to check my phone and see what I missed in the you know, nine hours that I was asleep. Yeah. And I don't think that's a healthy habit, but I'm curious for you, is it a source of, do you feel excited when you check and disconnect to internet in the morning? Or is well, it I, I guess it depends on what pops up. Um, like I said, there are some times where um, an email comes in and I'm just like, oh shit, I got up. I don't want to have to deal with this problem. And then there are times where maybe somebody from my team will post something in our instant messenger and it's like a, a really fantastic customer like testimonial or uh, one of the experiments that somebody on the team was working on uh, went really well and they were sharing the results and it's like that that's a pretty sweet way to start the day so it's like um, I guess do you set yourself up for more of the positive or more of the negative uh, and is there a way to kind of filter those to because I think if there was a way to make sure you were getting positive affirmations in the morning or, or positive um, communication, um, that would put you in a good mood to start your day. I think that's actually a great point to kind of jump to social media because it is that same, that similar like just steady stream of information, right? It's an endless feed always. Um, and the same way, you know, you could wake up to 10 work emails, you could also wake up to Facebook notifications, messages and all that stuff. And I think you actually hit the point right on the head of, you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. There was a, there was a video that Simon Sinek uh, was talking about this topic, and it, it went fairly viral, but he was saying it's essentially a little slot machine, right? You don't know what notification's gonna come in. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And when it's good, you get that hit of dopamine, just like when you win a slot machine, and sometimes you lose, sometimes you get a bad thing. But it's that expectation that is so addictive. And so I recently read that the average, US, the average person in the US checks their phone 150 times a day, right? And you know, that's really what I wanna jump in, dive into is around this, this addiction piece of it, right? Um, and so, like, do we feel that? You know, like, 
I do find myself like mindlessly checking my phone multiple times because my mind is just used to it. Even if there's, and you know, it's gotten to the point where sometimes if there's no notification, I get sad. Oh, like no one's messaging me in the last minute, right? Yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned the 150 thing because a couple years ago, uh, I downloaded an app that told me how many times I checked my phone. Um, or how many times I guess I turned the, the screen on and I was in the kind of 150 to 250 range and then I basically ran that experiment for a year where I tracked uh, for 365 days how many times I was checking it and within within the first month or two I was like I don't I don't like this and so I started cutting it down and then for the majority of the year I was um, I think around 30 35 times a day uh, and that was like a, co a conscious decision for me to to say no you know what if I check my phone, that number's gonna go up and I don't wanna do that, so. Um, and it was, I think it was enough time for me to build that habit, so like I don't necessarily check my phone a ton, but other things that have helped me with that are, like I, I don't have it on me, but I used to have a, um, a Pebble smartwatch, um, and it sends my notifications to my wrist, and that was great because sometimes you check your phone to see if you have a notification, and then you get pulled into this other thing and this other thing and this other thing. And so if you know that you don't actually need to pull out your phone and it's just gonna be right there, then it's like, okay, well, I'm not, nothing's buzzing right now, so I don't need to check this, I don't need to check this, and you can sort of just focus on what you're doing. But isn't that, you know, on the other side of that, it's worsening the problem. Why do you need to know every time there's a notification as soon as there is one, right? Why is that ever the case, that you need to know as soon as something's happening? Right? So, so a conscious decision I made about 10 years ago, let's say, was to just always have my phone on silent. Because I would sit in class and it would vibrate and I'd need to check it. Like I'd have an urge to check it because I was already addicted. And it was just easier, you know, what are the odds of the world blowing up in the hour I don't check my phone? And it's different for every person, but that sense of urgency, even from a business point of view, from a social point of view, didn't used to be there, right? I like, you know, wait three months to get my letter in the mail, right? It wasn't instant every single time. Yeah. I think that muting is something that's a good idea. I think I, I do it personally and a lot of um, professionals um, who have very busy lives who do the same thing, even though they need to be connected a lot of the time. Because I really, like, now, that I, now that I do that, I can't imagine not doing that. Because um, when I'm in class and my phone is not on mute, I can't pay attention. I get distracted. If I'm trying to study for an exam, my phone's not on mute, I get distracted. Uh, and so I think it's something that everybody should try. And I think in addition to that, people should try this exercise where it tells you how many times you're checking your phone. Because I wouldn't be surprised if I check my phone 150 times a day, but I don't think I do. Like, I, I think I check it 20 times a day. Yeah. But realistically, if I'm being honest, and I did this experiment, I'm sure I would see the same number. And so even now, governments are starting to introduce driving laws around uh, what, looking at your phone because people can't even focus on where they're going, right? They're driving like this and it's causing accidents. And the way we're talking about it now of needing to make conscious decisions to not do something and, you know, it impairing your driving ability, that's addiction level discussions. And that's kind of where the broader tech, dis the tech community um, overall seems to be leading the discussion as well. And so I actually want to talk about two different examples um, of comparisons I've heard. So one is cigarettes, right? And it's been very explicitly compared to cigarettes because this is companies that are purposely creating stuff that they know to be addictive. They have algorithms and they can make your social feed 
particularly and uniquely addictive to you, right? What it is you want to see, um, they can generate that. And so social media use has been linked to the mental health, to mental health problems, more social media use um, can give you more mental health problems and they're purposely creating it like that. But and why is that a bad thing? Like I, I would much rather see ads and content for things that I am interested in than things that I'm not. But it, like, so the studies they've done have started to show that more social media use leads to worse mental health, right? And so, and what it comes down to is they're not showing you, there's a difference between what you want and what is good versus what your brain just wants generally. And so there's, there's actually a, um, so there's actually a coalition, let's say, of former Google and Facebook engineers and other people um, called the C Center for Humane Tech. And this is kind of their main point, is they think engineers shouldn't be allowed to create algorithms that are purposely harmful for people. And I, I heard one of the guys speak and he said, now it's not a financial economy anymore, it's an attention economy. And what it comes down to is there's an infinite amount of information and only our lives to fit it in. And going lower and lower on the brainstem is how to do that. If you show someone something they agree with, if you show something something that is, makes them scared, that is what their brain will react to more naturally. So it's not necessarily good for you just because you think you want to be seeing it. And so they're like cigarettes, once you start smoking cigarettes, you want to keep smoking cigarettes, right? It makes you feel good. That doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you overall. I think that's, you know, tech companies when they started, when Facebook was just starting out, their goal was to get you to use their product as much as possible. Like, uh, it's, it affects their bottom line how much time you spent. And to your question of, you know, is that a bad thing? Um, the thing is that they're optimizing for the amount of time that you spend on the product and not necessarily quality time. But I do that's think changing. that's changing, exactly. So I think. Facebook uh, very recently and very publicly has kind of come out with, I mean, one was their blog post about passive consumption and how that is, you know, affected or correlated to uh, a feeling of sadness at the end of the day uh, versus passive versus active consumption. And they've started to kind of realize that, I mean, as, as much as in the short term, it, uh, having more consumption is good for them, they start to realize that in the long term, it actually may not be sustainable. So I think Facebook, the product itself, is one of those products that a lot of people are actually somewhat unhappy with. I think most people don't feel good about using it. Most people um, aren't happy with uh, their experience. And so they're starting to realize that. And I think they're going to start, hopefully, thinking about the long term as opposed to the, the short term. Um, but even that, they have a billion users. If 30% if are unhappy, and but still using it, that is an addiction, is it not? It's, you know, people want to get out of it, but they can't for various reasons. And, you know, they have become so ubiquitous that a lot of people feel they can't deactivate their Facebook. I'll miss out on event invites. That's where my friends message me, right? They're so ubiquitous that it's like a kind of forced addiction. And one of the other, the other big comparison that um, someone mentioned at the World Economic Forum recently is they actually compared them to oil and mining companies. And they said oil and mining companies uh, like take advantage of the physical environment and these social media companies take advantage of the social environment, right? They're literally like draining our minds because that's how they make money. The more we stare at their screen versus someone else's screen, the more money they make. Right? How is that any different than just pumping something out of the earth? They're just like, 
it actually makes me think of the Matrix. And so in the Matrix, you know, you have all of these humans plugged in and they're using the heat uh, from the humans to j power themselves. That's how I view the social media companies for my mind. The longer I'm, they don't care what I'm doing. The longer I'm staring at their screen, the more money they make, right? And it, that's the visual I think of is it's just those dr like being a drone, like drawing my life force through my eyes. So, so what are you proposing? Are, like, are you, are you stopping your use of social media? So I'm trying to. I've like, unfortunately, actually, I've got, I've recently gotten a couple more social media platforms, but I very much I'm trying to stop. But I also think it's the conversations overall are very interesting. Like I said, the um, there's that one coalition out of California that's trying to fight back, and you have governments trying to put more uh, effort into studying this. Um, but it's also, I think, that's why I want to talk to you and to everyone about this is because I think, you know, we're the first people who have kind of grown up, grown up with this, right? And, you know, I didn't have Facebook in elementary school, but now kids do. And it's interesting to read about the younger generation as well. Like, there's a really good long-form article called How the Smartphone Ruined a Generation. And it talks about how, you know, not only are they just less engaged with the physical world, they go out less, they, they f spend less time with their family because they all just sit in their rooms and they're on their phone, right? And that's how they engage with the world is purely through this filter. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I buy it entirely. To, to say this one thing has ruined an entire generation seems a little um, su superficial. Um, there's, there's a lot of changes that have happened in Western society that have probably led to that. Um, no doubt social media is probably a part of that, but I don't know, I, I, I view it more as a tool, and with any tool, it can be used for what it is meant for, and it can be used for, for bad purposes as well. And you know, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, like you were saying, Facebook is starting to, uh, to take steps towards, you know, thoroughly slashing the amount of time that you spend on their platform and trying to provide more local content, trying to provide more helpful content. Um, but, um, you know, it seems like, you know, blaming everything on, on one thing is uh, trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. That's fair. But one thing, like, I haven't read this post you're talking about in particular, but I, I would be very surprised if Facebook is actually and honestly trying to get you to spend last less time on their platform. To me, they're maybe trying to get you to spend less time on their social piece of their platform. But I saw on Messenger, their, the Facebook Messenger app now has games that I can load in the Messenger app so I can still be completely connected in while I'm playing my games. I don't have to exit out, play my game on a different app. I can still be in their platform. Because you know, if, if, if attention is money, which it is for many of these companies now, and you have a few massive corporations fighting for your attention, Right? Why would they try and, it's, I, I still view it as the same as you know, when cigarette companies could advertise, they wanted to get you to smoke their cigarette. They didn't care that cigarettes were bad, but not only that, they were pushing cigarette smoking generally because it was what affected their bottom line. I view it, and you know, one in five Canadians now have mental health issues, um, and I'm not saying that is purely around social media, but it definitely, I think, has, has been a part of it. And, you know, who's going to clean up this mess, right? 
Um, the same way, you know, a lot of people who smoked cigarettes, you know, ha developed lung cancer or other health problems, and that needed to be absorbed by the taxpayer in Canada. You know, the mental health problem isn't being properly dealt with generally, but once it is, you know, who's going to bear that cost? Um, if, if, it, if the links do come out that it is between social media um, and it is a larger cause, you know, are the companies going to help society clean up the mess they're creating? Yeah, I mean, it's a similar analogy to oil. Like, who's going to clean up um, when there's an oil spill, <laughs> literally? And, um, you know, it's, it's a good question. So, I mean, this coalition of Google and Facebook employees, it seems like that's the first step. Yeah. And more of these need to exist. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of taking the, the contrarian view of a bunch of, not, not for the sake of taking it, but um, because I think that there's genuine good that these platforms provide. But with anything, um, things can be improved. And it takes time to see long-term effects. And I think a lot of that is coming to head now. And so for the first time, we can, and also because of everything that happened around the 2016 election and things like that, that we're really starting to see the, the impact and the control that these platforms have on our lives. Um, so it's a good thing that these conversations are starting and, and stuff does need to change. Um, but to, you know, he mentioned that Facebook is making these changes and you, and you said, oh, I, I doubt they actually are. Well, I mean, we're not going to see any change if that's, if that's the response, right? It's like, you know, when, when people say, they, you know, we have to hope that they are doing it, which they are, they released their quarterly results and their revenue has dropped significantly. Um, but then we need to congratulate them and support them in that decision um, so that they get the dopamine hit that they need to, to continue uh, making these changes and continue pushing us in the correct direction and continue investing in uh, the research that's required to better understand the long-term effects. Yeah, one thing that, you know, I, I tend to be slightly more pro-government. So one thing that I think has been a problem is the government is lagging so far behind. They have no idea. Only after the 2016 election in the U.S. did they, and the fake news problem um, with the literal fake news from Russia and things like that, um, did they start to think like, oh man, because they have no idea what's going on. They don't have the techno technological know-how and so the companies have been able to run completely wild, and now it's on them to start reining themselves in, which to me, you know, it's good, like you said, maybe I should you know, give Facebook their credit. It's good that they're willing to, but it's also they don't have to, right? It's you know, the pressures of the market type thing, um, but maybe because they do, another company will end up just going in and, and taking that, that attention share. So here's a question for both of you, what would a social media platform that intentionally tried to prevent addiction to their platform, what would that look like? I know one thing, uh, an unendless news feed. So once you get to the end, it's done. That would help. I like that. Right? Yeah, that's a big thing is the endless scrolling for sure. And it's also, you know, what it caters to, right? Because right now it literally, everything's algorithmically driven, mm -hmm. but the algorithm is just optimizing how long you look at the screen. Yeah. You don't have to choose that as the sole algorithm you build around, right? Um, it could be, uh, you know, certain friends you incentivize, right? Like you can favorite people to make them the top of your newsfeed, but you know, there, I'm sure there are other inputs you can have to your algorithms than solely 
amount of time spent on the platform. And that's really what it comes down to is it's not just you know, one person deciding what's going on. It's these computer algorithms. So one thing that I actually uh, read about is um, one of the founders of that same coalition said how two of the like, world's largest supercomputers are in private companies and they're pointed at our brains and our children, right? So these computers are deciding what we see and th like their, what their input was, was you know, maximum profit. So if that's all they're thinking about, that's all they're working on. So it's, it's just about deciding that profit isn't the sole motive mm -hmm. and then going from there. Yeah, it's, it's a very hard thing to do because, you know, ideally you don't think, do things with regulation and rules and ideally you do it by changing the system, right? Because the system right now is catered towards maximum view time because that's how ads, this, uh, ad revenue is calculated. And so if we can find ways to change the, sig the things that are being optimized for, right? Um, if Facebook, uh, I'm not sure if they do this, but we're optimizing for the amount of time you spend on a given piece. So um, if you're actually looking at the content of a photo or a, or a post, as opposed to just looking at it and continuing to swipe through, maybe that's something that they should measure because that kind of measures your engagement in the, the topic. There have been times on a train where I'm seeing somebody using their phone and going through Twitter or Facebook, and they're swiping through it at a, like 100 screens per second. You know, like a, there's no way they're actually paying any attention to what's on there. They're looking out for uh, keywords that might pique their interest, right? And maybe that's something that they should start, you know, disincentivizing in their algorithms because the algorithms are really, really good at figuring out what is uh, affecting certain behaviors, and maybe that's one behavior they should try to reduce. Um. Yeah, well, one thing I think, this is a problem we kind of brought on ourselves, right? We wanted free content. We wanted Facebook to be free. We wanted Google to be free. So, I mean, we can get into the whole data piece of it, of you know the data they're collecting because we want it to be free, but it's also, that's how they make money. If we're not paying for the service, they have to make money somehow, and that is through advertising primarily, right? Ad and selling our data about what we look at. Right? So it's really, the shift kind of has to come from us. Right? If we're saying, no, I don't want these types of services that <laughs> focus just on my attention, am I willing to pay $5 a month for the services I want to use? And really, I think, you know, in addition to the industry, you know, let's say coming of age and having this discussion itself, it's also our generation. We're the ones who kind of grew up with it and now we can make those decisions for ourselves, right? We didn't know what we were getting into, you know, at that age, but we're still allowing people at even younger ages, right, to get into that. Um, the same way, let's say it's addictive, the same way it was, it's addictive to me now, you know, there are six-year-olds, there are 10-year-olds uh, who start to use these uh, YouTube, other social media and things like that. So if it's, potentially having a negative impact on my brain, imagine how much of an impact it's having on theirs. Yeah. One thing I wanted to actually highlight is the, the way that these uh, products work has a huge impact in terms of how we use them. So imagine what um, Facebook would be like without a like button, right? Um, it would be a completely different kind of experience. And you're talking about how we wanted it to be free and this is kind of what we're given and what can we do to change that um, there, we can, uh, there can come about different types of consumption that are more um, preferable. So for example, um, Facebook had this uh, idea of a timeline and that everything you do is recorded kind of forever. And you can always go back. And I think 
when Snapchat came about, it kind of was a bit of a, a reaction or backlash towards that type of thinking that everything is permanent. It started being, oh no, let's make things ephemeral, right? And now Instagram stories is one of the like, very commonly used features of Instagram, and it also has this ephemerality to it. So small things like that can have huge impacts in terms of how we consume and how we think about these products. So maybe we have to, maybe it's the responsibility of uh, Facebook to think of ways to change their, the way their platform works. Like the fact that they don't have a dislike button, I think is a good thing and it's a yeah. conscious decision on their end. And maybe new products can come about, just like Snapchat did, that help promote a certain way of consumption. So there's actually a few points I want to touch on there, but the one thing that you know, came to my mind first and foremost is around Snapchat, Instagram stories, and that whole new trend in social media. And it kind of brings me back to the original question of are you ever alone, is how often are you present? Um, and what I mean by that is now I see so often I'm at an event or I'm at a party and everyone is Snapchatting it because they want the friends not there to see what's going on. Right? I've literally been at a party where people were checking each other's Snapchats from each other's points of view. Someone, it was someone's birthday, and instead yeah. of just enjoying, his friend surprised him with a birthday cake, and he literally looked like a ghoul because he pulled up his phone so he could record it instead of just enjoying the moment. Yeah. And that not being present is also linked to mental health issues. Um, so it's about like this need to record everything, right? Is, is, that, is that not a problem as well? I, I think it doesn't, it doesn't have to be. I think we're probably in a point right now where it, it, it is. It, um, so for example, if I go to a concert or something, I will pull up my phone and I will take a couple photos or maybe a quick video or something like that just to have a little bit of that memory. And then I put my phone away for the, for the rest of it. Um, now, obviously not everybody does that and, and there are some people holding phones up to their face and, and all of that. But, we, we live in a generation where we want, like, like you were saying earlier, an infinite amount of data, infinite amount of information, and also infinite capacity to, to record that. Um, and not everybody goes back and even looks at old videos or photos they take, but a lot of people do. Like I have friends of our age that will take their photos from their phone and create physical like scrapbooks and like photo books and stuff like that. Like, that still exists. And, and it's weird because when you see a photo book lying on somebody's like, coffee table, you actually pick it up and you're like, oh wow, this is actually really nice. And you go through it, but nobody's ever going to do that with someone's like, phone or tablet or something like that. So um, anyway, so I, my point is that I think, uh, I think, it, I think it can be good, uh, the fact that people want to record everything, but there has to be sort of social conventions around how much is too much. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it can be good. Like the fact that we have a, uh, a camera in our pocket at all times is not necessarily a bad thing. I've been able to capture a lot of moments in my life that I'm super glad that I did. But it's a very, very, you have to be very careful because this aspect of not being present, that is one of the, I think we should at some point enumerate all the problems that it can cause. But I think one of, this, one of the biggest ones is this not being present because it's very easy to take out your phone and to start recording the moment for consumption later, even if you don't consume it later, and it results in you not experiencing it ever, <laughs> right? Uh, I've noticed that you know, when I go home occasionally on, on the weekends, um, and I'm sitting in our living room with my parents and my brother, and phones are out, I feel like, why are we even here, right? Yeah. Because I'm on my phone looking at what my newsfeed, and he's on his phone looking at his messages. So we kind of distract from 
what this experience was supposed to be. And I personally try to make a very conscious effort to say, hey, if we're here sitting together, let's not put our phones. Let's have time for you know, playing around and let's well, have time for not doing that. Because to what I was saying is like, there needs to be established social conventions. And so that, that's sort of your approach to it. I've been to parties where people say, all right, everybody put your phones in this bowl or you know, over there in this other room and let's actually spend time with each other. It just takes more people doing stuff like that and it, and, and it catching on that you know, I think that change can occur over time. What it really comes down to, I think you know, the example of Tinder really sets it well for me is that they say Tinder, let's say, ruined dating because people are always thinking, you know, I'm on this date, but there could be 10 better options, right? That mindset. And that's kind of what social media is as well. You know, I'm watching my other friends' Snapchats. Something else better could be going on than my current situation. There is an infinite amount of things that I could be doing and that all of my friends are doing. Why should I only focus on the one thing I'm doing? And so it definitely takes you out of your experience as well. But this brings me back, the fact that we have to do this brings it back to, it is an addiction, right? If you have to consciously say, I'm not gonna do this for the next two hours, you know, why does that have, to, what other things in your life do you have to consciously set aside when you're doing something else? When you're driving, when you're spending time with family, right? It's like, you know, I have to go outside to get my cigarette break. Is that where we'll get to? 15 minutes every hour, you can go check your phone, right? I'm not saying that's, but I, like, I think that's the track it's on. And one thing, I think a big problem for this, for you know, always wanting to see what everyone else is doing, and it actually comes back to not having a dislike button, right? And not having negative things. That's actually you know, part of the problem. It's your, what they say, you're comparing your behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel, yeah. right? Someone on your Facebook is always, do, someone is doing something fantastic at all times, yeah. but you're not. Right, but you don't compare. Your, you don't see what other people are doing, and if if someone posts something you don't like, you can just unfollow them. So, and people don't want that negative feedback. They don't want to see bad things necessarily, but only seeing good things impacts you as well. Yeah, I mean, so we're we're, we're talking about being present and how pulling out your phone all the time makes you not present. But if you're pulling it out to um, for the purpose of making other people present. I think that's valuable. Like before we started recording here, I had Snapchat open and I opened up the Snap map and I scrolled over to South Korea and I was watching parts of the Olympics from the perspective of people that are there watching these events live. Um, and sure, I mean, I could probably turn on a TV and see the official broadcast, but I, this is giving me the ability to, to participate as if I was actually there. And I think that's really valuable. I, I'm not present there, but I can be. That's perfectly fair. But my whole point is you're present here. There's a lot going on. There's people here. There's lots to look at. Like, why are you not engaged in this environment? That's what it comes down to, is you can tune in and watch anything the, anytime you want. The assumption you want. there is that wherever you are, there's always something fantastic happening. And like, like I was saying before, we, I was doing this while we were getting ready for, to start recording here and nothing was really happening. Right, but why does there always have to be something fantastic happening? And this brings it back to are you ever alone, right? It, people tend to want to distract themselves and social media makes it very easy to distract yourself. 
And so all I'm saying is there are people here. You could have chatted with someone, right? You didn't have to engage in, this, in the Olympics. And that's what it comes down to is there's always something cool to be looking at and you used to have to be in the room with the box that could show you that thing, right? No now the box is in your pocket. So at any point you can be looking at really cool stuff and it's probably more interesting than what you're doing. But that is the fundamental problem is why do you have to be entertained all the time? Why can't I just sit and like look at the trees in the park, right? Why can't like, and people do do that, but you know, on the train, I used to, you know, this is again what Simon Sinek said in his, in his thing. If I'm sitting at a restaurant or on the train, that's where ideas come from, right? I'm just looking around, seeing what people are doing, but now everyone's just on their phone, they're looking down. And that's fundamentally what it comes to. One, one way I like to think about it is um, the need to balance consumption and production. So when you're sitting by yourself looking out a window, right, you, have, you give your mind the ability to think and the ability to come up with ideas and to, and to produce. Uh, whereas when you're on your phone and when things are coming to you, you're consuming, right? And so if you're consuming all of the time, you kind of are losing this ability to, or giving yourself, not giving yourself the chance to, to produce. And having the right balance, I think, is very, very important because um, I think that if you're very unbalanced in one direction, generally the consumption side, um, you can end up with issues, right? I, I actually had never thought of it like that. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, tying it back to, let's say, the fake news and stuff and the, the problems with news and social media in particular is how often are people thinking for themselves? They're just getting an endless stream of information. So all they're doing is consuming other people's thoughts and opinions. They're not unplugging and having time to generate their own thoughts and opinions because you can't really produce and consume at the same time. Mm -hmm. I, I, this is why Facebook is so powerful, right? And I'm, you know, as much as the Russian meddling was a bad thing, I'm glad at least we've kind of realized how powerful it is, right? Because millions and millions of people are spending almost all of their time consuming information from other people now. Um, much less time is spent on generating your own ideas and generating your own opinion. And this kind of shows you the power that these platforms have. Um, and it can be, you know, quite, quite dangerous. So it, it may be something that we don't really want to have so much concentration of power in, in one entity. Yeah, that's fair. And there has been talks around that as well. One thing I want to jump back to talking about like, you know, you, you looking at the Olympics, right? So the reason I try and be very, I'm a very anxious person and I have a hard time being present because I get stuck in my own mind. And so that's been very much a reason why I try to be conscious of not also getting stuck on my phone, right? And so that's kind of what I view when I'm with friends and they're all plugged into their phone. I view it very similarly to the way I get stuck in my own head, right? And it's people, I think they would enjoy the experience. They would enjoy spending time with their family, right? But it's hard to get out of that, right? Because there's so much interesting things. You could be talking to 20 people at a time, but why not go spend time with that person? Why, like, you know, you're with someone now or you're in a situation now, why not focus on that? And, you know, later you can deal with the other things, right? I think it was, we've sort of ended up in this situation because too much happened too fast. Um, social media platforms, you know, there was a few of them to begin with and then all of a sudden Facebook had this meteoric rise and society hasn't learned how to use it effectively. Um, and so, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, if, if we put in social conventions to say, or, or 
education, really, to say this is unacceptable social media behavior and this is acceptable social media behavior. Um, this is how much you should be spending, how much time you should be spending on these platforms, and this is how much time you should be spending outside reading a book or you know, these other things. If that education was made better, and, and I think to some degree everybody understands that we need more of these healthier behaviors, um, but you brought up the, the topic of uh, children and the, the next generation where starting from age six, they've got a phone in their, in their hands. We need to be able to teach them what is acceptable and what's not. And if we do that, maybe we will end up with the, the, the next generation having much healthier habits with, uh, with regards to social media, just like our generation arguably has much better uh, habits with cigarettes. I think that's a really good point and I, I put a lot of faith in our generation and one of the main reasons is you know these technologies came up while we were growing up and often we knew the technology better than our parents. They didn't know. You know, my parents tried to regulate how much I could use the computer, like a certain amount of time every day, but they can't once it's in your pocket. But for us, we understand the technology a little better and we can, you know, when we have kids, we can try and instill that in them or have rules around the phone and things like that. Because, you know, the amount, of, the amount of times I've seen a parent, like there's a kid crying and they just throw a phone in front of them, yeah. right? I mean, they, but it has to be a balance because they used to say a television is the best babysitter, yeah. right? And, but is it worse than that now? Like, it's not a brand new problem, but I think we're well equipped, more well equipped to deal with it because we're at least on a more equal playing ground with the kids we will have than our parents were with us. I, I think the focus on children is very important because it's one of those things that a lot of people are worried about and we just don't have enough information to go off of, right? As we as adults have this ability to self-regulate and reflect in terms of, okay, I realize that I'm spending too much time on this, but as kids, you, you, you don't really have that sense, right? They, don't, they can't really self-regulate and so it's our responsibility to give them um, an environment where they can do their best, right? Um, I think this Te television as a babysitter question is, another, you know, it's, it's a very important one to think about and for me it comes back to again consumption and production, right? So if you have a, a kid, uh, it's very easy to put them in front of a television to, to uh, distract them from whatever they were concerned about or if they were crying, but if you give them a chance to be productive, right, give them a piece of paper and crayons to play with, right, to be able to give them Lego and, and for them to be able to have that experience as well, because I think that's also very, very important. And so this, that, that kind of thinking I'd like to apply to kids as well and to make sure that, you know, even if it is an app that they're using, if it allows them to do something creative, um, I think that's valuable, more so than a screen that is feeding them information. Um, so this actually makes me think of a song by Arcade Fire. It's called Infinite Content. And it literally is just like a minute and a half of infinite content. And it's, that's the whole point. It's just like an endless stream because that's what we're used to now. But I think the, uh, the point around you know, kids and consumption versus production is really important because kids are very creative. And you know, they have such great imaginations. And uh, you know, that's kind of what is lost as you get into adulthood when you have more to deal with, more inputs that you, your brain has to deal with, so you're less creative, you have less time to just generate outputs. So I think it's very interesting. 
I actually found it quite funny that I was reading articles online of people our age discovering that they felt better when they spent time at the park and things like this. And it's like, you know, growing up, I played on the street with my friends, I went to the park and that kind of stuff, right? And it's literally people discovering that the activities we used to do as kids like made them feel better. And not in like an immature kid way, in a going to the park way, right? And you know, that again plays into the fact that it's an addiction, right? The fact that we realize if we return to old habits, we feel better generally. I forget the name, but there's some like explicit Japanese practice that uh, is spending time walking through nature. And that is something they do to improve their mental health. And you know, I definitely think you know, the piece around connecting with nature is big, but it's also just about you know, being disconnected from other stuff. Um, and you know, I very much even make a conscious decision now, if I'm walking around the city, I don't even necessarily put headphones in because that's putting me in my own world. Why don't I want to hear about what's going on? You know, say hi to, like, we're starting to lose our sense of physical community because everyone is only engaged in their social community, right? You have your 30 friends you're talking to all of the time on your phone. So I don't say hi to people on the train because they're looking at their phone, not at me. I don't say hi to people in the elevator because they're looking at their phone, not at me. So I try and make a more conscious effort now and I've started to meet people in my building or I say hi to people on the street and that gives me a hit of dopamine, like a smile from someone on the street gives me a better hit of dopamine than a, a like on my photo. Yeah, I think that it's really important to stress that point to people you know and to society as a whole that um, social media can have a negative effect on your life. And, some people realize it and some people don't, right? And I was reading online that teenagers and younger people really don't think that social media is having a negative effect on their life. Um, and that's much more, uh, it's a much higher ratio than people who are adults who have had a chance to not have it in their life, right? So stressing the point that um, it does have an effect on your life. Clearly, I think we've kind of agreed that it's some form of addiction. If, if not cigarette level addiction, it is a form of addiction. And so making sure that people are aware that hey, this, this is something you might want to try. Try disconnecting from your phone every now and then. Maybe that's what's causing you to be socially anxious. Maybe that's what's causing you to feel lonely, right? Stressing to people that this is something that you should take an active role in is really important. And I think maybe that's one thing we can do is to raise awareness about different ways of managing your, your own consumption of social media because uh, I think there's a lot that can be done from a high level, uh, from, a, from the uh, government down to the corporations down, but ultimately it's up to the individual at the current moment to figure out what they're going to do, right? And some of these things, maybe creating awareness around, you know, like you said, etiquette, right? What, what, what are the good social norms we should have around Facebook and, and consumption of social media? I think most people agree nowadays that you shouldn't have your phone at a dinner table. But that wasn't the case always. Like at some point, we had to realize that hey, it's it's causing problems. Once again, right? too much, too fast. Yeah. You know, there was never time for people to understand what is acceptable or not. Um, and I think you know, I, I think I feel pretty strongly when I say that. That's how we look back at the previous generations and say, oh, they ruined the environment, or oh, they, you know, they made this mistake and that mistake, um, and we are striving to be better and to improve on it and to fix some of those mistakes. Um, I think that the next generation will realize the same thing with these sorts of topics. And I'm fairly certain that um, they will end up having much better 
etiquette, much better uh, norms when it comes to social media and actually beyond that, just your digital life because they'll be the first generation that has truly been born into it uh, and will be able to understand, um, um, maybe they won't be able to understand what life without it would be like. I guess that's where we should be stepping in and I guess this is a good uh, venue for that to start bringing awareness to the topic at, you know, or more awareness to it. Um, but yeah, we've been talking about, oh, Facebook should do this or the government should do this and really it comes down to us um, making that first step. Yeah, and talking about us, you know, we do want to view ourselves as better than the generation before us, right? So why not try and be actively dealing with it? Instead of saying, you know, the, young, the next generation, they'll figure it out by the time they're our age, we should be trying to have, you know, if we were starting oil companies now, I would hope we'd be willing to talk about the potential negative ramifications of those oil companies, right? So I would want our generation to be more aware, not of the problems that the older generations cause, but of the problems we're causing as well. And I think education is a key point for educating ourselves, but also the younger generations. And actually that, that coalition I've brought up a few times, that's actually one of the main things they're doing. They're spending something like $50 million trying to educate people in schools, right? The same way, you know, I was told cigarette smoking can cause lung cancer. That was good for me to know, right? Like, so it's about educating, but it is also about, you know, when I have a kid, educating them about it, right? And, and things like that. And education is, doesn't mean blindly putting rules into place. It is explaining the longer term ramifications in a way that um, provides emotional um, understanding uh, to that person. I do think that education is very important, but in order to be able to educate people, we'll need information, right? And I think if we can continue to spend effort and research into understanding the real effects of social media, the more we can be um, able to educate properly and to take the right actions, right? I think we should, one thing we can do is, uh, you know, set up a fund for this sort of research. Very recently, I think Apple investors have asked Apple to look into the effects of social media on, on or at least the effect of its products on, on kids and so forth. So that's very important. Like for me, um, when Facebook wrote that blog piece about passive versus active consumption, that for me created a paradigm shift that allowed me to better control uh, my habits. And that's something that you can allow people to educate with. And this consumption versus production um, idea came from, I think, a, a talk that Sal Khan from Khan Academy uh, mentioned. And that another, was another very good um, paradigm shift for me, right? Well, I think that's a great point to end it on. I want to thank the two of you for coming on and speaking with me today. And I'd love to hear your opinions on social media and smartphones. Thanks for watching The Safe Space. We hope to see you next time.